Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Elkshade Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man, sitting down with Ryan Lampers tonight, going over Stealthy Hunter's 2019 hunting schedule. Got little kids running around, but I'm going to just keep this thing recorded. So I wanted to say this podcast, we just, I wanted to catch up with Ryan before he heads to New Zealand, and he's never been before. He just got done with the epic backcountry bear hunt in Idaho's wilderness, pretty stinking remote just right up his alley in his wheelhouse and ryan's coming to elk shape camp to speak on backcountry nutrition backcountry systems and then turn around i'm headed to his summit where he's bringing all these big names in and they're doing something kind of similar but more for just the western hunting in general both are trying to speed up learning curves so if you're catching this podcast and it's before may 31st 7 p.m you can still register for the elk shape camp link is in the show notes now I will say about halfway through this podcast, Ryan got a little echoey, and I am running out of time. I don't have a lot of time here to, to get this thing edited and fancy, So, because I'm going bear hunting with Vortex Optics next week, so it is what it is. Enjoy this episode. Uh, we got three months till elk hunting season, so if you need to get in shape, I suggest 21 Days to Elk Shape program. It's a digital program. It's a PDF with interactive video. You can also couple that with the transformation diet and do something about packing, lugging around unwanted weight for elk hunting season. Not a recipe, not a formula for success. So get lean and mean for elk hunting season. Leverage the hell out of your elk tags to make yourself more disciplined, which will make yourself more mentally tough and find the best version of yourself. Without further ado, here is Mr. Stay Healthy Hunter. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Today sitting down with Mr. Stay Healthy Hunter, Ryan Lampers out of Bozeman, Montana. Actually, Big Fork, Three Forks, something fork. It is Three Forks. It's where Three Forks are in the road, and that's where you live. Yes. Loving, uh, loving the Montana life. Can tell you that it's uh we finally had one of those days where it feels like summer um the rain has been uh, we thought we were never gonna outrun it moving from washington to get here it's been kind of wet this spring but 
No, loving uh, loving this place, loving Three Forks, loving the folks here in Montana, and um, yeah, thinking about hunting as you are always. Oh, really? I, I think about it a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, uh, so we'll just get to it, man. Like uh, folks that don't know Ryan, I'll give him a proper introduction. Uh, he's out of the Northwest, born and raised in Washington State for the most part. That's where he grew up hunting. He's killed like 75 plus mule deer in his life. Actually, I don't know the number, but it's probably, it could be that much. Uh, he kills bears. He kills elk. If he is out to hunt you, you're probably dead and you should just go down and get in the truck. Actually, get in the front seat because that's where he brings his animals home. And <laughs> that's a fact. He's married to Hillary. She's a doctor. She's a sugar mama. He's a, he's a dude who is like a, a podcaster. He's kind of a hippie. He grows vegetables, he's got a green thumb, he's got a heart of gold, and he knows how to can food. What did I miss? And you really got me nailed. I mean, uh, the hippie, yeah, spot on. Uh, yeah, sugar mama. I mean, yeah, I married, I married uh, out of my pay grade for sure with my wife, Hill. We've got two uh, beautiful daughters. So it's Tana is my little and Paley is or my Paley. baby. Paley's 10 and Tana is four. So, so, yeah. so Tana's like the one that steals my heart on all your pictures. That just yeah, heart, man. She's just so dang cute. You're screwed. Um, yeah. She's just like, yeah, she's just, and she knows it. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. You got one of those two. Yep. Uh, I think, I think Avery knows it and, uh, yeah, she's just got you wrapped around the finger. So, um, and it's interesting because my my big is like got the she's got the heart of gold like she's just incredible incredible nice to everyone really never had like a stubborn streak or an argumentative streak at all just like the perfect kid right mm -hmm. and then uh, and then Tana comes around and um, fantastic kid but she's got that little bit of a edge to her like with Paley it was you kind of tell tell her what to do and she just kind of does it not scowls at you. Mm -hmm. Tana's not that way, man. I don't know how that that happens, but no, she uh, she likes to. She got. I don't know if it's mine or my wife's stubborn streak in her, but she's got it. So she's cute as the Dickens with a little edge to her. Dude, yeah, that's the same situation. I don't have two girls, but my my son is younger and stubborn, does his own thing. My daughter will do whatever you tell her. She'll clean her room without even no one asked her. Uh, yes. Just like amazing, and then my son is just kind of a uh, a handful would be the polite way to say it. But you know what, man, kids are awesome, and you and I are, have a lot in common as far as we have this extreme passion to be out in the mountains. That's really the, at the end of it. That's what it is. Like if we weren't allowed to kill animals, we'd be out there with like how close can we get with a camera or um, we just any excuse to be out there. But we were talking a couple weeks ago about how much work it is now just to free up our schedule and how much prior proper planning it takes just to go on your bear hunt you just went on man like how many weeks of planning for the stuff around home did it take you just to be able to go on that quick little week-long trip yeah it seems like uh, every year that goes by as we get older um the responsibilities stack up the kids um you know marriage work everything um you know jobs businesses you name it, it just piles up. Uh, we have 
we have a kind of a new place that we're kind of sinking into in, in three forks there. And so there's projects, there's so much to do, but yeah, finding time, uh, as we get older, it's, it's harder to do, you know, back in the day, it wasn't so tough, but, uh, yeah, there's like these long honeydew lists and there's projects constantly. Uh, you're always, you, you feel like when you start digging into a hunt and, uh, treating that hunt, right. And you're like planning and you know, if you're doing it right, you got a lot of that, you know, to do. Uh, and, uh, seems like there's a little bit of guilt when you sit down for a couple, three hours in an evening and, and just start planning a hunt and pouring over maps and, you know, talking to your buddies about, you know, tactics and, and things that they're thinking about and all those things are fun, but, uh, yeah, it, it's hard to get away from the guilt of not being, um, like just, you know, pushing it and, and going for it with work and trying to tackle all those little problems that you, you just have when you're older. So you uh, recently sold your interest in a business and you guys moved. Hillary's doing her medicine over there. Yeah. So she's a naturopathic physician. So she's, um, she's, she's wicked smart and she's a go-getter. She's had several businesses, uh, since we've been married, we've been married for 22 years and, uh, together for, I think 24. Wow. But, um, yeah, so we've been together a long time and, um, like you, we both lucked out with our ladies and, and, uh, we got, we got tough gals. And, um, that's the other thing is they push you to always, you know, go for it and, and uh, work hard. Right. That's true. And so to give Hillary a plug, because like, She's like she's got literally patients all over. She, she could potentially, if somebody was interested, they could potentially work with her no matter where they live, if they basically set her up to be their physician. Correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because the older she, I get, the more I've thought about like I'm more like my a lot of my stuff aligns with what she's going got going on, and I don't mm-hmm. even have a primary physician, dude. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. She she's great because she. Um, so, you know, on a t- side note, naturopathic doctors, they spend a lot of time with you. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, on average, a lot of times it's an hour and a half they'll spend with someone, which is great because they, they get to learn all the problems. They're not just trying to like mask some little symptom you're having. They're digging deeper and looking into all these other possibilities that um, are giving you whatever's going on. And sometimes that has to do with diet, lifestyle. And those two topics alone, you can dive so far into those that, uh, you know, she spends a lot of time with people and people love her and she travels around. She still holds a practice back in Washington state Oh, okay. for, eh, she's trying to spread it out to like every other month. But, um, you know, it's still kind of like once a month, she, she heads back to Washington to see her patients there. And then she's working here in, um, in Bozeman, Montana as well. And, and she used to have a business here. She used to do it the other way where she had her practice, her own practice in Washington. And then she would fly here to Bozeman to see patients. Good move, man. Well, let's talk about, um, the 2019 hunting season. You're off to a bang. Um, I saw two bears, the second, I really liked your black bear. I mean, that thing was just a giant, uh, you did a wilderness hunt in Idaho um, I'm sure there's like YouTube videos where people can see all that stuff. Tell us some stuff that you can't find on YouTube or Instagram about that hunt. <laughs> Man. Um, so yeah, we can just start off out of the gates. You know, it was three guys. It was myself. It was a really good buddy of mine, Jeff Lusk. 
and Brian Call, which a lot of people know Brian Call is the Gritty Bowman. We went into a place and um, a place where Jeff and I had previously been, where we wanted to, you know, just go into some really remote type country that, you know, it just kind of looked good on Onyx and we'd we'd seen it. It's it's just like one of those places you want stuff to happen. Like you want to get in there and make something happen. Rough country. um, Really didn't know anything about it. But last year we did our homework and, and figured it out. We found some bears. Uh, it, it was a lot of miles put on. Uh, we had some gear mistakes that we did not have for that trip. We were minus a raft, which we needed at Uh-oh. times. We kept seeing bears on the other side and, and that type of thing. But, you know, all in all, we learned a lot last year. And, um, you know, we learned that this was a type area we wanted to be there ahead of the rut. Last year, we were there in June. And uh, we were seeing bears, but those bears were moving mm-hmm. and just really hard to catch up to, just crushing. And and so we we kind of, you know, looked at all the things that didn't work for mm-hmm. us last year and we changed them up. We went much earlier this time and um, we kind of wanted to stay away from that rut. We wanted to be, you know, bears right out of the den type bears, you know, where they're there's smaller green salad bowls that you're paying attention to versus salad bowl from top to bottom. You know, when, when there's, when there's lush green grass from 4,000 feet to 9,000 feet, you know, bears, bears could be anywhere amongst that. So then it's about finding sows. Well, we wanted to avoid all that. We wanted to have them a little more pinpointed in the lower parts of the basin where, you know, the grasses are just starting to green up um, kind of just, you know, hopefully stack them into those lower, that lower country, lower country. Still, it was, it was steep, nasty country. We had to do a lot of ups and downs this year, but, you know, I feel like our, our research and our homework that we, that we did last year set us up for this hunt this year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's one of the coolest parts about how this year worked out was, you know, it feel like, it felt like we were just one step behind last year. And so we changed up some things um, Brian call went with us. And so he was kind of the beneficiary of, of us figuring it out. And, and this time, um, you know, we, we got in, everything was pretty Brown, total opposite of, of last year. And so it was more like there was some green, which was nice, but it was small patches down in the Creek beds, um, just kind of moving up out of those creeks. And so we knew where we had to look and, um, you know, we just kind of wanted to dial it in as we got there and, and figure out which basins were going to be, you know, stacked with with bears and have a have one or two or three in there. And um, fortunately, we uh, we didn't have to cover a ton of country. We uh, we started finding bears fairly quickly. And, um, you know, the first basin that we kind of peered into, we found three. We found we found uh we found one. He was he was just um, sleeping up in a tree. In a tree. In a, in a tree. So we got to this top. We climbed about three thousand feet and uh, and peered over this thing. I I threw my glass up and it was one of those times where you're just really lucky. You just like the first thing you're looking at and you're like, what is that? You know, what, what is that? And is it moving? Man, that's odd for way up in that that giant pine. And but there, and there's this thing on the other side of this big old branch. And it was, um, looked like a pad to me, like a front foot 
couldn't tell if it was moving. It was a long ways away. I uh, got the spotter out, looked at it, and sure enough, man, it was um, a pretty good-sized bear, too, way up in the crook of this branch in this tree. And I'm talking like 45 feet up in this thing. Wow. And so that got me excited. And then uh, me and my buddy Jeff were looking at this thing. and Man, why is he sleeping in that tree? You know, why isn't he not just sleeping down on that pasture? There's a giant below him, probably. Yes. And that was our theory. Like, man, I bet you if we pick this apart, we're going to find something that's got him scared. And the reason he's up in that tree is because he's probably scared of getting killed by a big old giant boar. Still couldn't tell how big that bear was, but it wasn't a cub and uh, looked like a pretty decent size. And then, uh, so man, lo and behold, Jeff picked up um, the monster. He was about 200 yards up canyon from that, the base of that tree, and mm-hmm. just crashed out. Moved. Jeff noticed the movement, saw the belly for a split second, was just like he knew instantly it was a giant. And so. Yeah, we ended up making a play on that bear. Uh, I'll cut this a little bit short. We ended up getting that bear. That was a, just a big old, big old, old, you know, giant jet black boar. That one bear had popped out of the tree, and um, and he kind of disappeared. And uh, so that was cool. And it felt like, man, we just kind of figured it out. So at that point, you're thinking, well, let's look for more drainages. Very, very similar to this. The kind of the south-facing um, crick in the bottom, somewhat timbered in the bottom, you know, places for them to feel safe and green. And so that just kind of, um, dictated what we looked for at that point. Well, the following day we ended up getting another bear in that same drainage. It's pretty cool. It was, uh, it was foggy as heck when we woke up, uh, just looking, you know, through little patches of the fog and trying to get, you know, some glassing in and, Man, it, as soon as the fog kind of lifted, you know, Brian's looking down in there, and he's looking kind of kind of close to where my gut pile was, and uh, sees something brown is kind of a weird color. And he thought first it was a cougar. He just thought it had that mountain lion look to it, and his yeah. and and uh, mm-hmm. watched it, watched it, watched it for a long time. And sure enough, man, it was just a big old, uh, you know, like a medium size boar, black bear, just like he was watching TV, he was watching the Ravens pick at my carcass from the day before. Yeah. Just sitting on this log, just watching the show. He never moved in. And he did that for a long time. And we sat there and watched him and watched him. You know, the thermals were bad. We weren't going to go down in there yet anyway. And watched him for quite a while. And eventually he got up, he kind of moseyed over there. The Ravens took off and he found like some little scrap and he kind of pulled it aside, but he wasn't really interested in that carcass. Um, we thought originally that once he gets on it, he's just going to probably, you know, lay on it and, and maybe bury it, but, um, you know, chew on it for a while. But I think it might've been a little bit early. They just weren't, he wasn't ready for meat at that point yet. He was still under the grass and he just kind of went off and started chewing up grass. And, um, you know, we ended up getting that bear, uh, some point in that day and, and hauled it out of that same draw. And, uh, yeah, so I won't drag this out, Dan, but we ended up getting two bears out of that drainage, and we ended up getting three bears out of another drainage, very similar to that one. Similar um, characteristics. It had water in the bottom, green um, in the bottom, just kind of moving out of that thick timber, and uh, it's just like perfect bear spots. And and I think in this place, I think the bears 
just never get looked at. You know, nobody's mm-hmm. going back there, no bait piles, no nothing. People just aren't hunting them there. So we just got lucky. We were very fortunate to find, you know, these hidden little places and, um, you know, pulled some big old, old boars out of there. But it's a great trip. Ended up with five bears uh, between the three of us. Obviously, you know, that's, there's, Idaho has these reduced tag units. There's quite a few of them where, as a non-resident, you're only paying $41 for a bear tag. Um, so we bought each bought two of them just in case, and it worked out. Yeah, so. I'd say it did. That's pretty, that's pretty epic. But uh, getting bear hides out, because you have to take the hide out in Idaho. you got to get it sealed and get the tooth check. You guys are taking out at least bear hide, bear skull, but I know you eat bear meat like I do, so I know you're taking bear meat. I mean, uh, how did what was the – I guess we'll end on this for the bear stuff, but – logistically how the hell did you get the bears out of the mountains out of the backcountry? <laughs> it was a lot of work man we uh we had eight days nine days um and we spent more days packing yeah. packing meat and uh and hide than we did hunting so um fortunately we had given ourselves a lot of time and uh you know not knowing how far we'd have to go but beans, we, we kind of got our bears earlier in the trip. We had all this time to just put our head down and grind and, um, and really just put in the work at yarding that stuff out of there. And, and yeah, you're right. Those hides, man, they're heavy. They're real heavy, you know, the skull in and everything. I think Jeff weighed his. His was a monster. Uh, I think he said it was 52 pounds Good altogether. Lord. So that's not with the meat. And we pulled every scrap of meat off those bears as well. And I... I know Idaho doesn't require that, but I could not imagine leaving that bear meat back there, man. I mean, I think you're like us. It's like some of the best meat. I just absolutely love bear meat. So we go in there for Spring the meat. bear meat, especially, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, huckleberry bears, but that's not very many places you get to do that. But Because uh, there's not a lot of huckleberries. Every, you know, that's kind of a P&W thing. But, yeah. but spring bears, man, like that's a no-brainer. So yeah, and you know what's crazy, Dan, is – you know, I've taken a few uh, spring bears in my day, but uh, two of the bears that we took were really, really fat. Like they had almost a, like that blueberry fat type on them. You know, it's like a real greasy, white, uh, clean fat when you're breaking them down, Yep. which is, which is, you know, you see a little bit on spring bears, but um, two of them were just absolutely loaded and uh, almost looked like a fall bear that had been parked on a huckleberry field. So that was cool. And, uh, you know, we ate a lot of meat up there and it was just, you know, it's always, when you're eating it up there, it's always the best, but, um, you know, you bring it back and I always can a bunch of bear meat. I, I love doing it that way. It's just got such a good flavor to it. Um, you know, some of the fat leaches out and it just makes for really, really good food. And, um, and then I'll just do a lot of, you know, steaks. And then I, I make a bunch where I just grind. I, I just vacuum seal it frozen chunks and i'll just fresh grind it as we take it out oh it and okay grind it um, whenever we want it so yeah yeah i just just absolutely love bear meat um I'm t- it, it's funny i think there's uh i think people are coming around but there's always been that thing where people just thought bear meat was unedible right um, yeah i guess i mean i i started out that way and then somehow i figured it out but yeah i was no i remember growing up and hearing my dad talk and my uncles and it was always like ah it's just nasty greasy gross bear meat um it's more about getting the hide and 
it's complete opposite for for us now. You don't really care about the hide at all. It's it's about that meat. I literally don't want the hide. Um, oh. And I I know that I, I messaged you as we were going uh, to this place. I messaged you trying to figure out like if anybody could give me an answer as to how little hide I could pack out. Right. Because uh, I just you know didn't want the meat or that that weight. But um, we ended up packing all the hides out. And, and I, I got word from a biologist who, who said, you just need to pack evidence of sex attached to a little bit of it. Yeah. So I didn't need to, we didn't need to pack the whole hides out, but they all had a really, really nice coats and I'm, I'm pretty happy we did and, and went through the work of that anyway. So. No, that's pretty cool. So we'll, uh, we're going to speed rush this cause you got to go. I got to go. Um, what have you drawn tags wise so far this year? Like, did you draw Nevada again? I did dude. Don't hate me, but I don't yes, hate you. I don't hate I, you. Draw Nevada. <laughs> Good. Congrats. Anything else? Yeah. Nevada mule deer. Yeah. What else? First, First was, was Wyoming. 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 I drew an elk tag for Wyoming. So that's, so that's going to be something, something completely new and foreign. I've never been. been well, I've never, never hunted Wyoming. Wyoming so, so going there for a general elk tag, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to pour my scouting days into um, into that archery season down there for that. And then Nevada is August. So it's very early, August 10th. And, uh, yeah, drew a tag down there. Just, just found out recently, uh, not that long ago. So going down there with a buddy, um, we kind of put in together in, in Nevada and, um, great kid, uh, Conlon, he wants to go down and tackle the whole, you know, early archery hunting, you know, mule deer high country type thing. And, and it's, it's kind of eluded him. He's, he's a very accomplished, uh, kid and what he's done, but he wants to go tackle, um, that August mule deer with a bow in the velvet. And so we're going to go do that and have some fun down there in Nevada. Yeah, dude, that's cool. You got your general tag for Montana. So I'm almost a resident, Dan. So I wasn't able to put in for anything this year because I'm a penny pincher. Um, okay. I didn't want to waste anything putting in as a non-res. So my residency comes up end of this month. And so I'm going to get all my residency tags once that happens. So I, I wasn't able to put in for anything, but quite honestly, Montana's got great over-the-counter just any, anything tags. So I'm going, to, I'm going to pick up my elk tag, my deer tag, and um, my bear tag for the fall. So I'm going to go hit those huckleberry fields like we were talking about for that fall bear and uh, try to knock down a, a big slob, fatty huckleberry bear. Yeah. Uh, you going to step foot into Washington state this year? I'm undecided. So I don't know. I kind of think not. Uh, Washington state is horrible to non-residents. I mean, they really, really make it difficult to want to put in for or buy a tag in Washington. I, I had no idea all these years being a resident that, um, that that's what, what it was. So um, so yeah, I am probably not going to do that this year just because the cost is so high and I've got so dang many good tags like here in Montana that uh, I'd much rather get those cheaper prices and do that than, than go spend a fortune and, and hunt a place that I've hunted my whole life. And, um, I kind of, kind of hit a stage where you kind of want to see some new country and, and I'm there, I'm, I'm hearing some pretty fantastic mountains here uh around bozeman so i got a lot to learn about these wilderness areas and so i'm gonna i'm gonna spend a lot of time on that 
That's awesome, dude. Let's talk about the, your summit that you got planned because uh, I'm super stoked for it. It's right after the Elk Shape Camp, so yeah. you're coming over to Spokane, scratching my back. You're going to help me out with the backcountry stuff and the backcountry nutrition. Um, yeah. June, what is that? June 21st, 22nd, 23rd. And by the way, when this podcast goes live, it'll be tomorrow. But I, I'd hardly ever turn around that fast, but. I'm going bear hunting, so I got to turn publish one tomorrow. So if you're listening to this and it's Friday, May 31st, you have till 7 p.m. to to get lined out for Elk Shape Camp. There's a few spots left if you want to do that. And then the following weekend is going to be, I think, the 20th, 28th, 29th, somewhere in there. Yeah, um, yeah. I think Saturday is the 29th and 30th. So, uh, so yeah, I'm I'm excited uh, for the Elk Shape Camp again. That was we had so much fun and got so much out of it your first one um man just a great crew i feel like everybody that was there walked away with a smile and a ton of education it was just awesome um yeah just yeah i, I know i walked away from that thing thinking man these these guys made out on on the oak ship camp it was pretty cool to see what they got out of that you did a great job and put it together really well and and uh, man i i know i learned a lot me and willie were there together and willie schmidt and, um, yeah, we were, we were taking in all the things that you were telling folks and, uh, we got an education for sure. So, well, I'm a huge believer in, um, when I tell guys that can't stay in your lane. And so I have to get help on these camps. Like I feel very confident in public land elk hunting, but I don't feel confident like teaching elk calling. Mm-hmm. I don't teach, you know, I don't feel confident in trying to like teach people the most fundamental like how to make sounds through a diaphragm read. And um, I don't feel comfortable teaching bow tuning and even archery mechanics. Um, I can do a little bit of backcountry, but I don't have near the days or weeks that you do in the backcountry. So I'm a, I'm a firm believer in staying in your lane. So that's why I stick to what I know. Hey, I'm going to help you with your nutrition, your mm-hmm. fitness, and your mental toughness slash discipline. And then I'll answer your questions on how to kill oak. That's awesome. And it looks like you're doing the same thing. You're bringing in a ton of subject matter experts to try to speed up the Western hunting learning curve. Not just this. Yours isn't just about elk hunting. It's about Western hunting and you're bringing in some big dogs. Tell us what you got, dude. Yeah. So the Western hunting summit is, um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm like you very similar. I, I know what I know and I don't want to preach things I don't. So, um, you know, I, Uh, I think what you did bringing in Dirk was just perfect. I mean, couldn't have had a better guy there. Such a good personality, such a great elk caller. Everybody knows that. And he he taught and teaches very well. So similar um, for, for mine here in Bozeman, the Western hunting summit, I've got, I've just got like, you know, a a really, really good group of select experts. You included, you're going to come over here and, um, and speak your thing discipline, lifestyle. I love that. Um, I love your approach to all that. So you're going to be talking on the Sunday. Um, I've got, uh, man, I got Brian Barney coming in. Um, Brian just lives down the road. Great guy. For those that don't know Brian Barney, he's absolutely similar to Dan in that he's extremely dedicated to his craft. He works his tail off blue collar guy. 
I respect the heck out of Brian. He's uh, he's an amazing individual. Everybody should pay attention to that guy. And he's very, very, very successful in the backcountry. And there's a reason for it. He works harder than most people. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's learned a ton of things in all his experiences in, um, in, you know, not just Montana, but a lot of different Western states. So great guy. He's going to be talking um, about all the things. Ultimately, the goal of this thing is to cut people's learning curve in two days by two years. Um, I've got uh, a gentleman by the name of Mark Livesey. He's he's kind of one of those guys that he really dives into things and he just nerds out on it. He's he's really gotten into dehydrating food, um, which I love. I'm a big fan of that. And he's also a llama guy, so he uh, he's got a pretty good knowledge mm-hmm. of packing in with llamas. He's got a bunch of them. He, he works with Bo. Um, this guy out of Southern Utah or Southern Idaho there. He's got a bunch of llamas. They do pack trips, very well versed in llamas, but I'm bringing him in for his digital scouting, uh, capabilities. The guy is, he's a whiz at, um, getting on a computer, finding places on a computer and, picking it apart and figuring out if that's a spot he should be. And he has so many different programs, apps, systems that he's got set in place that it's pretty impressive. And, uh, you know, I could watch that guy talk about digital scouting for hours. So he's coming in. Um, gosh, I got Cody rich. He's going to be there. He's going to be kind of like keeping everything together. Um, I'm not, I like to stay in my lane as well. Like you, Dan, I am not a well-spoken, like, center of attention type guy that wants to be front and center. Cody's really good at that. I've watched him. He's good. He's also a really good elk hunter. That's his passion. So he's going to be there to answer questions and talk about that. Um, Gosh, I have Randy, Randy Newberg. um, I've never heard of him. Who's that? Yeah. Yeah. For for anybody who doesn't know, he uh, he's right here in Bozeman. He's close. He's agreed to come out and, um, and do the same thing. He's going to talk about, you know, what he feels are important pieces to cutting that learning curve, things he's learned over the years. The guy's a wealth of knowledge. The guy's awesome. Um, Uncle Randy, everybody should call him that because he's just, he is a phenomenal individual. His storytelling is, I don't know about you, but I could listen to Randy tell stories all day and uh, never get tired of it. He's just a great guy. And he's going to show up and, and talk with us and, and do that, do his thing. But, uh, you know, I've got um, I've got several others. Doc Hill, my wife, she's going to be talking about how to maintain our bodies as we get older. Think about it when you're young. Um, inflammation is a big factor in bodies breaking down. She's going to talk about things you can do to fight inflammation longevity in the mountains, longevity in life, all those type things. She's, she's really good. Um, I'm going to be talking about the backcountry stuff. Uh, food prep is going to be something I, I really highlight. Um, it's one of my big passions. I love doing food, uh, myself. Um, and, or I like just paying attention to companies out there that are creating meals, clean meals that I don't feel bad about eating. And, um, I know we're going to actually do me something on the mountain and uh, keep me pretty strong. So I'm going to be doing a lot about food and then backcountry hunting as well, similar to Brian Barney. Um, so I've got, uh, we've got a, we've got a group here called mountain tough. They're going to be doing some, uh, 
education on fitness. They've got a, a course they do here in town. They've got a gym and uh, they're going to be talking about their thing. Bunch of really motivating, tough guys. Uh, they're super cool. Um, gosh, who else do we have? Got uh, Paul Medell. I don't know if you know Paul Medell, aka Elk Nut. That guy's awesome. He's uh, he's fun to listen to. He's just got a he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to elk hunting, speaking the language. Um, he gives scenarios for every different occasion. When elk say this, he does this, and it's he's a fascinating guy. He's, he's got a lot of a lot of knowledge on elk hunting. He's going to be there um, answering questions. And one thing that's it's going to be really cool about um, this and what I saw in yours was there's the presentations, there's the education part of it. And that's awesome. I think people get a ton out of that. But there's also the the groups on the sidelines, you know, whether it's after the presentation or, you know, during the breaks and people are all just going to be there hanging around all weekend and they're going to be talking and answering questions you know, one-on-one type questions for anybody that has, um, has them, you know, they'll get them answered by whoever they want. And, uh, that's what I really enjoyed about yours was just that interaction, you know, off the stage, but just, just talking with people and getting a little circles and, and just, you know, talking hunting and, and tactics and all that kind of thing and getting all the questions answered that people feel they, they want to know about. So that's, uh, that's pretty valuable. I, I feel like. Oh, it is. And, to add to what you're saying, dude, when I started hunting, there wasn't podcasts. There, like, I don't want to. Sound, I'm gonna sound like an old guy, but there just wasn't podcasts. There wasn't YouTube. There was magazines and VHS, and then DVD. Uh, learning curve was steep, man, and you just kind of, I don't know. It's just something. I'm just jealous that people can get this, and for the price of a tag, and you could just invest it in yourself is really what it is. And have all these subject matter experts at one hub. Mm-hmm. I think you're onto something, my friend. And you know, I know we've talked about this offline, but we're both wanting to take this on the road. We're wanting to do more of our camps, our summits, mm-hmm. and take yep. it around. And they don't have to be huge camps. They can be small, but just I want to mentor people. I want to give back. I want to impact. I want to make a difference. And you probably the same as me. I don't care if they ever kill another animal or kill their first. I want them to leverage all this exciting stuff that comes from hunting into their real life because we are super blessed to be hunters and outdoors. And this passion is like none other. It's fierce. And when you have a passion that lit, you can leverage it to make everything else in life way better. And I'm really excited, man. Yeah, I love how you say that. I I heard you say that at your your seminar, and it was just like the thing that that stuck with me, and I couldn't agree more, Dan. It's like, you know, I, I was blessed to have mentors growing up, um, but I'm also wise enough to know that there's a lot of people that don't. I I just benefited greatly from having a father that hunted, um, as did you, and I also had you know an uncle and and people that would take me out and teach me things. I had a, a guy out of Idaho, just North of you there, um, that yeah. taught me a ton of things. And it, he just, he cut my learning curve. I spent three weeks with a guy. He cut my learning curve so much that, uh, there could be 10 years there of, of learning on my own that he shaved off in three weeks, just me hanging out with the guy going out and hunting with him every day. And, uh, that was so valuable, um, that I feel like, 
you know, we, we both probably get a lot of questions either through social and through the things we do. And some of the questions are, you know, to us seem very elementary and just like, you just know, you should know this, but it's not the case, you know, not everybody had that entry level mentor when they first started. So I feel like giving back is huge. Um, I definitely want to get out there more and get guys more confident in going into the hills and leveraging that you're hunting with life. Um, I just love that. It should be a bumper sticker. It's, it's so true because I know what hunting's done for me. It forces me to stay in better shape. It forces me to eat a better diet, pay attention to my nutrition because hunting is hard and I know what it does to my body and I want to do it. We, like you said, it we're lit on this passion that we have. It's something I want to do for so long. I can't even think about not doing it that I want everything right. I want my body to body to work right. And to do that, you got to be conditioned, you know, mentally, physically, nutritionally, all these things. And so when you have that and you want it so bad, you just live better, right? You don't take in junk food and you don't just sit on the couch and watch TV. There's, there's things you could be doing to better yourself and, and, um, you know, promote a healthier lifestyle so that when you go in the woods, you're going to be feeling good and you're going to be a heck of a lot more successful than if you just, you know, treat it as a one week a year type hobby. So yeah, absolutely. You couldn't have said it any better. Well, I'm full of stoke. Um, I guess we probably better wrap this up. You're going to go to a dance recital. I think, yes. which yep. is massively important. Um, it is end of May. When do you leave to that one place to go hunt? <laughs> the the great place yeah. uh, across the pond. Yeah, uh, I leave Tuesday. So yeah, I leave in what four or five days. Dude, I just want to wish you all the best. Get home yeah. safe, and oh man. I, that's massively on my bucket list. So just please take some great images and video and, uh, come back with some awesome stories and give it everything you got. I know you will. Absolutely. No, I'm going to, going to enjoy this one and going to have some good company there. And, uh, I can't wait to see that, that terrain and that landscape because it's something you just see in, in pictures and videos through other people's. And, uh, it's been like a bucket list hunt forever. And I, it's one of those hunts, Dan, where you and I are both like blue collar guys, surprisingly affordable. I wouldn't be doing it if I couldn't afford it. Um, and it wasn't very, very cheap. And, uh, so yeah, I'm going to go enjoy the heck out of it in two weeks in some amazing country. So yeah. Cool. We just teased the hell out of that. So more to come on that guys. That's all we can say, but Ryan's going somewhere cool. You'll find out soon enough and, uh, get signed up for the summit. I have a link in the show notes, the elk shape camp. One last day to sign up there. Follow Ryan on Instagram. I'll have a link there as well as his websites, all the places, all the things he does. And you won't meet anybody more humble but also more talented, pure talent when it comes to hunting, man. So great having you on. Man, thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, really looking forward to it. I guess the next time I'll be seeing you, it'll be Elk Shape Camp. All right, brother. Well, we'll we'll talk then. And uh, take care with wrapping everything up before you leave. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Dan. You bet. Take care. Welcome to the two-minute drill sponsored by Elk 101. I'm going to sit down and chat with the elk hunting wizard himself, Corey Jacobson. Two minutes on the clock. Hurry up offense style. 
Corey's going to drop knowledge bombs and you are going to get better at elk hunting. So without further ado, here's Corey and here is our topic of the day. Okay, Corey, so we're going to talk about archery setups. Let's go ahead and go over maybe your setup or just best practices or common denominators for a setup specifically for elk. Yeah. And so, you know, the elk setup for archery is probably the most important thing is making sure your bow is tuned. You know, people talk about the the argument of speed versus arrow weight and all that. And I think it's, there's a balance in there somewhere, but I think the most important thing is number one, getting your bow set up and tuned properly you know, even before that, making sure it fits you properly and then getting it set up and tuned, making sure your arrows are tuned for the bow and you have the right spine on your arrows. Uh, and then tuning that bow, both paper tuning, I start with paper tuning, but then I also do a broadhead tune because I want to make sure my broadheads and field points are flying the exact same. And we always hear the, the argument that broadheads fly differently than field points. But really, when when you boil it down, if your bow is tuned and you're shooting the right arrows, I think just about any broadhead out there should shoot the exact same as your field point. And I, I definitely put that into practice and shoot out to 100 yards in practice. And I shoot broadheads and field points side by side and make sure that they're hitting exactly the same. And from there, it's just a, you know, I think it's important to be proficient and practice, 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 because the last thing we want to do is, you know, do everything right and then go out and mess up a shot uh, that should typically be a chip shot because we haven't practiced. As far as my setup, I shoot uh, 458 grain arrow. And it's the Spartan, the Black Eagle Spartan 300 spine. I do put a 40 grain insert weight behind the field point or the broadhead on it just to increase my FOC, which is the front of center weight. I feel that a higher FOC helps with arrow stabilization. It helps with penetration. There's a lot of benefits of it. I top it off with a 100 grain G5 striker broadhead. And this year I'm shooting the Prime CT5, the Logic CT5. And uh, one of the things I found is, you know, tuning my rest, making sure that the rest is set up right, you know, from the beginning is super important. And I'm shooting the HHA Virtus rest, which is a drop away rest and pretty, pretty confident in that setup and uh, confident in the way it flies as well as the performance on elk with, uh, with that system. Hey, elk hunters, Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic, from planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between. The University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today.